Stories connect us. They build empathy and understanding across difference. Stories are the basic building blocks of community. If you are brave enough to share your story and have the empathy to listen. But when was the last time someone really listened to you or you listened to someone else? Each episode, we choose a theme and stories from our archives of thousands of stories collected using the Facing Projects model. Every story you hear was produced by two people who took the time to listen and share and collaborate on a monologue told from one of their lived experiences. People who listened instead of judged. What if we all sought to understand? This is The Facing Project. JR, are you often alone with your thoughts? I am. I spend so much time in the car. I travel often, sometimes three hours a day in Road the rage? Car. Is there road rage involved? There's some road rage involved. Car sickness? Uh, only if I'm not driving. If I'm a passenger, definitely car sickness. When I'm driving, moderate road rage. But often I'm in my own thoughts while I'm driving, thinking about my day ahead, mapping that all out. Um, thinking about how I'm going to conquer the world that day. The one thing that I really miss out on during those opportunities is how other people fit into the equation of my life. So often when I'm on my own, I'm thinking about how I'm going to do things, what I'm going to do to do X, Y, and Z, change the world, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not thinking about how that may impact others. And often then once others come into that equation, it throws me off a little bit uh, because then I have to readjust right my expectations for what fits best for them. You too have spent quite a bit of time lost in your own thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I'm driving too, I'm usually listening to an audiobook or a podcast or past episodes of the Facing Project show, of course. Yes, you can um, find on iTunes. But, you know, that's, I feel like it's not quite truly alone with my thoughts. So, an opportunity, I was in Myanmar researching the most generous country on the planet, and they have a culture of Buddhism and meditation, and I was going to try my hand at meditation. So, I showed up at this monastery where you could do that, and I learned that the minimum amount of time you could meditate for was 10 days. Oh, wow. That's... That's a long time. That is a really long time. And you're there's no there's no talking, there's no reading, there's no writing, there's no Facebook, there's no phone. Like 10 days. I don't know how I would do that. So I was talking to this nun. I, I didn't have 10 days in my, my itinerary. So I talked her down to six hours. Wait, how do you charm somebody you're going to meditate with or, or for down? <laughs> To six hours. You meditate for yourself. Uh, but like, yeah, I don't know how. It just kind of, that's what I had. I could do it or not. And so, you know, I wanted my, it was like so American of me. I want my enlightenment, but I want it like fast food style, right? Yeah. But still, six hours. I had done the meditation apps before for like 10 minutes, but six hours where one hour you were just walking, you would think left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And then for one hour you would sit and you would think in and out, in and out. And at first, as I was thinking, and my mind was just wandering all over the place, but I felt like this is kind of selfish. Like, I'm here just all by myself. You know, my wife and kids and family and friends are off doing their things. I'm not, I'm totally removed from their lives. But then after six hours of doing this, I started to have a little bit more clarity. And now if you did it for 10 days, who knows what, what would happen? But 
I did start to see how it wasn't such this selfish act that I thought it was. I think it better prepared me to interact with people. When I was done, I had ice cream. And mm. when you're really conscious of every movement of everything, like ice cream tastes better. Mm-hmm. I think you take things for granted less like people. Um, so that's my meditation experience. Yeah. I often find that I get lost in my head, too, when I'm in social situations. We're often invited to give talks on campuses, or we're up giving lectures on this, that, or the other. And any time before a talk, I start to get that nervous feeling again, and I get lost in my own thoughts of, what are these people in the audience going to think about me? What if I say the wrong thing? Will it totally discredit me, and all of a sudden, you know, they'll throw tomatoes at me, or whatever that may be? And I don't think that... I'll ever get over that. I think that's really normal, but I don't know that people actually talk about that often, speakers or anyone else, that that nervousness always exists, even if it's your thousandth time getting on stage to deliver a talk. Yeah, I feel like I have this camera, right, that is in my eyes looking out, but in those situations, it like comes out of my body. Mm -hmm. It turns around, it looks at me as if everyone is only looking at me and not like lost in their own thoughts. And what happens to me is, you know, I'm really light-complected, and I get red in the face really easily. Yeah. Even though I have same situations. I've stood in front of a lot of people and given talks before, but like a small group or something, an inspector, someone asked me a question, my face is probably getting red right now, because if I talk about it, the the monster comes back, right? A little bit. Yeah, is it? It's, okay. it's starting to. It, it actually has a name. It's called, I'm, I'm not trying not to butcher this, because it sounds like not so good, erythrophobia. And, it's not and, what it sounds like. Yeah, it's not. But, you know, once I begin to actually listen to what others are saying and get that camera focused on other people, um, the voices in my head that thinks I might be looking stupid kind of goes away. And once I start not caring about my red face, but sometimes it can come between us, right? This social anxiety and it allows us not to interact with other people uh, mm-hmm. when we can get out of our own heads. Today's theme is walk in my shoes, and it's two stories inside the minds of people who are facing a reality that they wish others could understand. Shannon Brown's story as told to Jamie Reese from Facing Disabilities in East Central Indiana, performed by Brian Meekin. I cannot stand to be misunderstood. The only thing I hate more than that is not understanding what's going on or why something is happening to me, or when people leave me. All those things are confusing and make me hurt myself. I try to explain what is wrong with me when I'm feeling bad, but my words get muddled and become something I didn't even want to say. I've done things that I didn't want to do. Then people give me that look, the look of fear as if I just put on my monster mask and said, "Rar." The sound of a shovel scraping across the rocks on the driveway. That is my joy and sunshine. The plow cleaning my driveway after the snow comes is my thrill ride. Swinging with my feet scraping the grass on a hot morning while I wait for my best friend to take me to lunch at B-Dubs. That is my best day ever. I enjoy outside so much with the blue sky and the funny white-shaped clouds that slowly float above me. It gets so hot in the summer, but I love it hot. Not always, but sometimes. My dad playing music gets me jamming. 
I love to dance. I'll play games with you and we'll always win. You can't beat me at Uno. But let me tell you, I go much deeper than dancing. Uno. Sunshine and scraping rocks and scaring people. Listen. The storm is rumbling in, and though it may come with uncertainty, noise, and unpredictable wind, it brings with it tons of beauty. If it weren't for the clouds, how would I know how beautiful the sky is when they disappear? There is no reason to fear the unknown, except when the unknown comes unexpected. We are born into situations and given a straw that we never drew or chose for ourselves. Some are born with all the gifts wanted by mankind, good looks, intelligence, wit, personality and charisma, an ability to communicate effectively, and a compassion that cannot be taught. I'm not one of those people. I don't know what I'm born without. I know what I have. I have love and I have hurt. I also have happiness. I wasn't always happy, though I've had a happy life. I was born with several conditions, yet I don't think they have caused me much trouble. I have autism, Tourette's, moderate developmental disabilities, and bipolar disorder. These labels have stopped others from trying to understand, and that has made it hard for me to understand my life. I've been hurt a lot, by people who don't know me, and by those who do. It's the pain of being misunderstood. I have wants and needs clearly known in my mind, but have an inability to begin to communicate them. There is great pain of knowing what is wanted, but not being able to say. Why can they not be seen? Yet some see, my mom and Jeff, my dad. My friend Angelica did what few before her had ever done. She listened. By them I have become empowered. I found my voice in funny words, fuzzy words, nice words. I have misguided excitement that meets a stranger with force, a force that causes fear with my unwitting delight. In cursing and self-destruction, my joy and frustration was being communicated. The words were what they were not, the intentions lost in the aggression. Nobody has taught me to love, for when you meet me, you see it and feel it. Yet, I was taught how love loves. I started to recognize what the world sees and replace it with what the world accepts. I was depraved of communicating and understanding my surroundings. The smallest routine changes caused me undue stress. I needed choice, and she gave me choice. I love babies. Oh, how I love them. Shan, she'd say. We have to give the babies space. I love to play in the park, swim, play basketball, and do everything. We're going to the park, Shannon. We have to be good. I love to swing and look at the sky. We tried to reach the sun on those swings, 
We almost knocked trees down with our feet. At my favorite restaurant, I was waiting for my wings. Where's my food? Shan, she'd say, we have to be patient. Then I am patient and play the game while waiting for my wings. And when I got loud or cussed because I wasn't patient, she let me get candy from the claw machine. I love B-dubs. I followed her rules because if I didn't, she would take me home. The people and the sounds that overwhelm me in the outside world make my words loud and bad. Shan, she'd say, oops, nice words. And I started going to my shop to work on my crafts. I could go to the animal shelter and play with the animals. Animals are like babies. They need space and a soft hand. I love to burn the trash at my parents' house. I start the fire and say, is it, is it burning? It's burning now, she'd say with a laugh. She makes me happy. I did not know the storm could not hurt me until Angelica was scared of the storm. She was so scared, and I told her it was God bowling. The rain waters mommy's flowers. She was okay, and that helped me realize the storm could not hurt me either. People would come to my house and tell me I have to go wherever they wanted to take me. I didn't know they were coming, and I didn't know where they were taking me. I started telling them to call me first and let me decide. When they called, I would say, yes, I would love to go. And I saw myself differently. I could make decisions, and I learned control. Before, when people didn't call first, or ask me what I wanted to do, I would get anxious. I hated not knowing what was going on. I just don't like change that I don't expect. It made me get a tight feeling in my chest and a rumble in my belly. My head was spinning and my ears heard too much. I would hurt myself or others. I found that if I rocked in the chair with the lights turned down and the music playing, I could relax. I could ask to relax when I felt like this, and I started to feel better. I could go where I wanted, or where others wanted me to go because the relaxing helped me. I still get this feeling sometimes, but now I know how to relax. I once wrestled within myself with things I could not say that I did not understand. Trust was a stranger, and I was my enemy. There's pain in wishing to be understood, yet being unable to understand, it is depressing. My darkness was living an agenda created from another's idea of my needs, rather than choosing for myself. There is no challenge in life too difficult to overcome if you have the right person with you. I found my right person. She did not run away when I scared her with my bad words when she came to my house for the first time. She looked at me and saw that I needed help. We chased the sunsets together. We caught rainbows. Everyone should have a friend like Angelica. Angelica says everyone should have a friend like me. I think one of the really powerful things about 
Shannon story is the way it was collected. So the the writer Jamie Reese um, was you know assigned to Shannon, and Shannon doesn't necessarily have a lot of words to communicate. So, but so she had to spend a lot of time with his family and other people in his life to kind of get to know him. And I think it's really says a lot that not everyone has the words, but everyone has. A voice, and I'm so appreciative of Jamie doing such a great job with Shannon's story. Yeah, and I loved she spent so much time with his family, helping capture the story, and they all came to the theatrical event, which we had the opportunity to attend. And what's so special about that moment, I remember, is when the actor came on stage to portray Shannon's story, he yelled really loud, "That's my story!" And everyone laughed in a good way and and clapped. And just there was so much love that surrounded him in that moment that oftentimes because he isn't able to communicate maybe in the way other people do, um, people surrounded him for the first time in a way that um, showed a sense of love of, of, yes, that is your story. We, We celebrate you. Yeah, I think there's something very tangible about those events that like acceptance and understanding and um, empathizing with the story. And I wonder, like, if that had been another event in the same theater that wasn't that subject, it wasn't Shannon's story, if he would have called out like that, then it might be seen as disruptive. Yet when we hear someone's story, like, we have a much more connection and acceptance with that story. Yeah, we can empathize. Breaking a mold that shouldn't exist. Elizabeth's story as told to Morgan McGrath from The Facing Project at Davidson College in Davidson, North Carolina, performed by Angie Rogers-Howell. I stretch my sports bra over my head and break out into the weird dance that is trying to flatten a not-so-flat chest. This is my hell. I can't breathe. I snap it into place, and a small part of me dies knowing that I will inevitably jiggle out of the side or slip out of the bottom. That's what happens when girls like me try to work out. I walk into the union gym and begin to prepare for what will be a physically, but mostly mentally exhausting 30 minutes. I hop onto the first treadmill and try to blend in. I actually like running. Sometimes a girl's just gotta blast Britney Spears and sweat it out. I casually glance over to the other treadmill, only to have all my confidence shot to hell. This chick has been running for eight miles. She has been going for an hour and looks like a delicate feather, and I haven't even started, and I have boob sweat. Eight miles! Hell no. I pop my earbuds in and try not to notice the way my thighs jiggle every step I take. That's the thing about working out at Davidson. I am constantly surrounded by classically beautiful bodies. It reminds me of this time in middle school when I worked my ass off. Not literally, it was still pretty big then too. I make the field hockey team. After a summer of hard work, I made it as a defensive player, and I honestly was pretty good. I felt so accomplished until one day when I was running down the field and the best player of my team jogged up to me and told me that I might want to consider getting into better shape. Confidence, gone. Not that anyone at Davidson ever directly discourages me from working out, but it's hard not to compare myself and feel judged by the thin girls because I have struggled with healthy body image for as long as I can remember. 
At this point of my workout, I am pouring sweat. Megan Trainer comes on my Spotify and I audibly groan. Maybe from the music, but maybe from the physical exertion. The word fat makes people uncomfortable because it seems so harsh, like an attack. So people like Megan Trainer package it prettier by saying curvy or plus size. But here's the problem with that. Society has defined curvy to just be another mold that so many girls can't fit. If I am plus size, I need to be curvy in only the right places. All the right junk in all the right places. What is right junk? And where are the right places? Are you telling me that the only worthy body that isn't thin is the one with big boobs and a big butt? And while I'm on it, why the hell is it cute or quirky when a thin girl eats fries, but when I eat them, I get major side-eye that says, classic fat girl going for the fat girl food. That seems as unproductive as all those Photoshop models that people seem to have such a problem with. I press shuffle. My mind drifts to the time I told a close friend about my eating disorder, and she acted surprised. I could hear her internal dialogue. She has an eating disorder, but wait, she's not underweight. Having people tell me how great I looked after I started losing weight was confusing and satisfying in a sick way. It was as if I had gained their respect. I finally took control of my life and lost weight. I was en route to fit the mold. But here's the thing. During my battles with food, my control had actually spiraled out of my hands. I had no control. I glance across the gym and see a guy lifting weights. I instantly become self-conscious. My face is bright red, my hair is a sweaty mess, and my shirt is dripping. Not hot. I tell myself, I don't need to be hot for him. I can be hot for myself. I want to believe it, but a lot of the time, I don't. Sometimes I feel like being super smart and super beautiful are just givens at this school, and I can only validate how great I am when I leave campus. The scariest part about all of this is that I used to think that if I got male attention, they were doing me a favor that I had to repay. They didn't have to dance with me, but if they did, I should probably make out with them. I was letting everyone else validate my unhealthy body image and skewed perception of self-worth, and that's not how I saw Davidson going. I look down and see I've run three and a half miles. Tomorrow, I might only make it two, and yesterday, I made it four. Today I worked out because I wanted to, not because I felt pressured to. I hop off the treadmill, deciding that I don't ever need to run eight miles to feel fulfilled. The girl on the treadmill next to me does not get to influence how I feel about my body, nor does Megan Trainer, nor do the guys that may or may not give me attention. I have decided that taking care of myself is so much more important than letting other people define my worth. It just is. What I really appreciated about Elizabeth's story was her growth over time. I mean, when she started out on the treadmill, she kept thinking about what others around her were, th- were thinking about her, similar to what we talked about earlier. But over time, she started to realize, this is not about them. This is about my own self-worth and what I want to be doing. Yeah, you know, she comes to this level of acceptance that she's working out for herself. And you can't force other people to accept you, but we all can work toward accepting ourselves. 
Shannon and Elizabeth were brave enough to let us into their worlds as they discovered self-acceptance, giving us all an opportunity to understand them better. Next month, we'll be back to talk about empathy through proximity and using our stories to teach others. We've now made it easier than ever to participate in the Facing Project. Visit us online at facingproject.com to learn how to submit a story that will become a part of our national archive and could have the potential to be featured on this radio program. This is where you can also find other Facing Project stories and how to start a full-fledged Facing Project in your community. To continue the conversation about this episode, find us on Facebook at The Facing Project. To listen to past episodes of this program, visit indianapublicradio.org slash The Facing Project. The Facing Project show is produced by Sean Ashcraft from Indiana Public Radio at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and directed by Laura Williamson and Michael Dane, with editorial assistance provided by Amory Orchard. We are your hosts, Kelsey Timmerman and J.R. Jameson. Until next time, we wish you the courage to share your own story and the empathy to listen to others. Mm